Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. In this episode, the holidays are right around the corner, and we all know that spice beers are part of the mix. But what about a no-hop gruit beer? Kylie Gwen, who you may remember from episode 40 about Session Made, just won the Mecha Grade Brewing Man competition with her Gruit Wit Beer. So today, she's sharing her two favorite gruited styles of beer, what herbs she likes to use, and how to explore herbal beers without committing to a full batch. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of Historical Brewing Techniques, the lost art of farmhouse brewing. Purchase your copy of Historical Brewing Techniques at brewerspublications.com. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Welcome back, everybody, and uh, remember, if you ever talk to one of our sponsors, make sure you tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files, so they know they're spending their money wisely. And now, it's time to get into the show. So I have on the phone, Kylie. Kylie, say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. So you remember, Kylie was on the show, what, I think it was Brew Files episode 40-ish, somewhere in that area, talking about session made. So it's been a while. Yes, it has. And what have you been doing other than session made since that period? <laughs> um, all kinds of things. I think I've, uh, the reason we're here today is my, my herbal brewing has continued down a, a rabbit hole of adventures. So, um, you know, just kind of doing all kinds of things as, as we feel inspired and as, you know, the seasons change kind of brewing along with that. We're pretty lucky here in Oregon to have great botanicals and fruits and honey and all kinds of wonderful things to, to play with. As opposed to how I am here in Los Angeles, where uh, we pretty much are just on fire. <laughs> Surprisingly, we are not this year yet. Yet, I should not have some wood. Yeah, if, if I step outside, it smells like uh, somebody's burning leaves. So, but that's beside the point. People who've listened to the main show, they know that when we talked to Seth Klon of Mechagrade, he was talking about doing his Brewing Man uh, competition that was supposed to be earlier in the year, but then COVID 
and you know things got delayed and well it didn't get delayed permanently because you won i did and i i think i benefited from the delay to be honest <laughs> no why, why do you say that because because it gave time for the beer to settle down or um, no, it gave time for me to get everything fresh and in season. So um, everything I put in was foraged locally, either from my yard, friends' yards, or some of our you know bike paths and wildland areas we have around locally. Right. So, I, and I'm looking at the Mecca Grade announcement of of what it was you know best of shows awarded to Kylie Gwynn uh, and for a gruet made with botanicals foraged from her garden, including yarrow, mugwort, motherwort, sage. Lavender stems, chamomile, bee balm. Good lord! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to uh, reset the context for everybody for that competition, Seth's whole theme for it was essentially local made, right? Yeah, you know, include some sort of local uh, local idea in your beer, and so I don't think you can get much more local than stuff that's out in your yards or your neighbor's yards. Correct, and you know I'm pretty lucky to be close to Seth. So I brewed with all Mecca grade malt and then uh, the wonderful Imperial yeast is just up the road from Eugene in Portland. So I got to use that as well. So I used my favorite sort of wit base and built the flavor profile off of that. So it's uh, it was like 60% Pelton and then the remaining was um, 15% Gateway, 15% Shanico, and then the rest of flaked oats from Gray Millers, which is another local company we have here. Peloton's the Pilsner malt. Gateway's the the wind-dried malt. Yeah, that's his unmalted wheat. And then Shanico is the is the malted wheat. Yep. And then local oats. So I know all the, the Mecca grade malts. Do you get a particular different flavor from the, the local oats? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily no. I just I wanted to stay true to the spirit of the competition, so I used everything as local as I could get it. And so we're on a wit base. Yep. And then, uh, and you said you used imperial yeast. I used whiteout. It's my favorite for wits. Um, I haven't used as much imperial as uh, as I've wanted to, but uh, as we were talking just before we started the show, uh, I apparently have my hands on a bunch of it to use now. So I'm going to have to get going. Um, wh- what do you like in particular about the whiteout as opposed to say, you know, like a white yeast wit strain or a white labs wit strain? Um, it's hard to put the finger on. I mean, they're all very subtle differences in how those ferment out for wits, but I just really like the flavor profile for that one. I think the, you know, the phenolics and the esters work really well with the mecha malts specifically and all the herbs that I put into it. So the first, uh, kind of real gruit I shared with the world was one that I brought to HomebrewCon in Portland and I used that there and have kind of done that ever since. So it's just become my go-to for wit beers. With the wit beer here, are we, are we talking like a traditional wit beer strength? So somewhere in that like five to five and a half, or or did you do the homebrewer thing and kind of uh, kick it up a little bit into sort of more of imperial wit? Yeah, I kind of kicked it down. This one was four and a half. Okay, so a little bit more sessionable. So what are we talking about then? Like a ten forty-five OG? Yep, that's exactly what I was shooting for. So 10.45 to get to a 4.5, as long as you're willing to, we'll include the recipe in the show notes so that people don't have to go hunting, <laughs> transcribing. Sure. Yeah. You said you've used this base before to do other gruits. What attracted you to the idea of doing gruits? I like to play with things, and I have 
a background in herbalism, so I like some of those more creative and unique beers. If I wanted to drink a wit beer, I'd go buy one. Um, so when I brew, I brew to make things different and, and interesting and things that I enjoy drinking. So my goal with this one was to make a nice, refreshing summer ale. So that's kind of what I set out for in the flavor combinations and the herbs that I put in there. So just to remind people, so Gruet, historical term for a spice blend that would be used to bitter and flavor a beer back really prior to the rise domination, crushing oppression of hops. <laughs> of hops, yes. And no hops in this at all. So, because I know some Gruet blends will include hops, but this one, it doesn't sound like they're any, right? Correct. Yeah. And I have done in the past both. I've done hopless and hop. If I want it to last a little longer, I'll put hops in it just because that preservative quality is pretty hard to beat. You can with some botanicals. They've got some natural antimicrobial and antiseptic properties that will help hold it a little longer. But I've generally found that if you want to preserve the beer a little longer than putting in a really neutral hop for a bittering charge is the best way to kind of go about that without ruining the flavors you're looking from from your botanicals. So just just a little background bitterness, but no no big oil content. Correct. When you say that you that if you want it to last longer, how long how long do you expect a batch like this without any of the hops to last? Um, I brewed this one right around the 1st of July, and everything's still hanging on pretty good right now, but I would expect now that some of the flavors are going to start to shift in the next couple weeks. So I'd say you probably get a good 60 days without any changes, but botanicals do fade much quicker than a lot of hop compounds will. And for everybody's reference, as we're recording this, we're late August, not quite end of August. So yeah, you're already talking like about what, like month and two thirds yeah. or so. And then, yeah, and if you put the hops in there, what, you'd stretch that out like double or? I wouldn't say double. I think you'd probably get an extra month out of it. And then you get the extra benefit of, while we do our best as brewers to make sure everything is air quote sanitary, there's always competing yeasts in there and hops just do sort of a better job at keeping those things at bay. I've had some gruets go pretty, I don't want to say sideways because they were still delicious, but like unintendedly funky or sour um, without some sort of hop in there deliciously squirrely yes <laughs> we've got a wit base and, and that's one thing i've noticed a lot of a lot of the group beers i've either tried or have seen either seem to be based off of say like a scottish style mm -hmm. or off of some sort of uh, belgian style i have a friend of mine who makes a fantastic group that it's basically a triple and so mm -hmm. kind of a double punch. <laughs> I like the idea of doing it with a wit beer because you get something that you can have multiples of, assuming that everything's in balance. And, and I, I've had some groups that are obnoxious. I'm assuming yeah. this isn't because you couldn't get away with that on a wit base. No, you cannot. <laughs> so yeah, I think wits and porters are my two favorite bases to play with for, for gruits. They give you a lot of freedom to paint. And when I say paint, I mean, one of the things that's really important with the Gruet is that you're matching your flavor profiles. So like the herbs I used for this, I would not use in a porter base because I want it to pair with that. And so some of those roastier and toastier sweeter notes would be pretty at ease with a lot of the flavors I was looking for in this particular blend. And so let's dig into the blend because I mean, some of these I know are very traditional, right? So like Yarrow and, Yarrow and Mugwort, I think have been in almost every Gruet I've ever seen. <laughs> What what does Yarrow give you? Um, so Yarrow, this one, I interestingly, since I was able to collect this from my yard and another good friend's yard, I split the Yarrow up. So 
I split it out to do just the leaves for the boil and save the flowers for flame out as well as a tenement addition. So what I was looking for from the leaves was more of that bitterness, more of that antiseptic uh, quality and really to add that herbal backbone that was going to carry the whole flavor through. So that's, that's why the yarrow is there at the beginning. It's towards the 10 minute mark. And then again at the end. And so what that difference is, is putting in the flowers, you still get um, a lot of that really intoxicating herbaceous notes that yarrow has without some of necessarily the astringency and greenness from putting the fresh leaves in at the end. It's kind of like using fresh hops, I guess. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, cause it, it's been a while, but my palate recognition on yarrow is something like a cross between mint and oregano ish. Ish. Yeah. Ish. I'd put it in there. It's got a lot of the same really, Maybe a little dash of rosemary in there too. It's, it's really kind of that spicy aromatic as well. And is yarrow the one that has the purported hallucinogenic effects, or there, there's one of the groot spices, traditional groot spices that people always warn you about? Motherwort, or not motherwort, mugwort is probably the one you're thinking of. It's used for lucid dreaming and some of those other. Okay. And so really you're using the yarrow as not only flavor, but also sort of your backbone base note. And then we get into that mugwort, yep. which is such an appetizing name. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a lovely herb. It's delightful to brew with. So that, again, is traditionally, uh, it's in that, like, what is considered the traditional holy three of, like, bittering for brewets. So um, it is used, I use it only at the 60-minute mark as, as a, a bittering herb. That's what I'm after for that is the bitter. And then, again, to add some complexity to the herbal notes next to the yarrow. So they work really well together. Um, and that's the only place I used it in this recipe was at 60 minutes. And then mugwort as well, I only put in at 60 or motherwort, um, if that's one people probably aren't familiar with. It's another really bitter herb. So that was the goal there. Yeah, I was going to say, like looking through the list, I was like, okay, yeah, I know that. I know motherwort. What is motherwort? <laughs> it's traditionally like a woman's tonic herb. So it, it's got a lot of things for that. It's also very bitter, tonifying. So. That's what I was after there. It's um, a plant that I love personally and, and grow for my own tincture use. But um, yeah, pop a leaf in your mouth and give it a chew, and it's it's pretty bitter. So, which is good in this particular in this particular use case as well. All right, and then we move into uh, sage, and I love sage. I've got two big sage bushes growing in, in my backyard here because it actually does well down here. <laughs> the other thing I put in for the sixty minutes uh, was sage. Uh, dried sage from my garden, and then lavender stems, um, not the leaves or the flowers. That's not what you're after there. So that's a trick I learned from the Scratch Brewing book, and it gives kind of a cinnamony, cherry, just again, another layer of complexity in that base beer that's in, and putting it in at 60 definitely ensures you're going to boil off all of those potential floral cloying qualities that lavender can have well and so i was going to ask if you if you put the stems in later would you get that grandmother's soap flavor you don't get nearly as much of it as you do with um the flowers so if you were to use the flowers you would absolutely get that um putting it in later you still get some of that you don't get as much of that cherry and cinnamon and you do get a little more of the floral quality out of it yeah i'm always i mean i love lavender again i have i have a bunch of lavender bushes around my yard the aroma is fantastic and soothing, but almost every time I've ever had it in a beer, it's always been like, ugh. I feel like I'm chewing on one of those old uh, seashell soaps that somebody would have in a dish in their bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Lavender is really easy to overdo it with. 
I put in a tenth of an ounce of stems. Wow. Okay. So t- uh, that's that's tiny. Yeah, I think it was like like two sprigs. I think maybe three was all it took to get to that point. So not a lot. Well, and I think that's a good point for people to know about when they're playing around with a lot of these herbs. It's like this isn't like hops where you have a certain amount of leeway to overdo it. You have to be really careful. Yeah. Very very light hand. <laughs> Unless that's what you're after, unless you're after an over the top, like just slap you up in the face. But, you know, the point of this beer that I wanted was the balance. And I think that's why it did as well as it did. The comments on my score sheets talked a lot about that, the surprise and being able to get, you know, the wit beer character as well as the herbal additions. If you're doing a beer this small, right, this four and a half percent, I mean, it's not small, small, but yeah, the main point of the beer to me should be that this is a beer that I want to have multiple times. I want to be able to not only get through a glass, but go back for another glass. If you were to take something at four and a half percent and just try and drive every spice note into it, you'd make something that was undrinkable. I mean, I think that's fine to do if you're making some of the, the crazy concoctions I've seen out there where people are like 10, 11 percent, you know, take your medicine. <laughs> yeah. So for the 60 minutes, we've got Yarrow. Mugwort, motherwort, and then the lavender stems and, and sage. 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 I almost yep. forgot the sage. We move on, and now you got. Uh, now you moved into more aromatics. Yep. So that starts at ten minutes. Um, I put in two and a half grams of chamomile and a half ounce of yarrow flowers. And so, and again, trying to layer up that that yarrow character. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Chamomile's, I, I never have a good way to describe chamomile, right? You know, like, cause I think the only time I ever have it is, is if I'm having chamomile tea because I feel like poo. Right. And chamomile is one that I think a lot of people expect to be like lavender and have it be very floral and fruity and heady in that way. And then uh, a very small amount of it is, but chamomile is also a very bitter herb. So again, one you kind of want to be careful with and why I used it at 10 minutes is I wanted a little bit of that bitterness and I wanted a little bit of that floral, lemony brightness that it'll bring to a beer. We always think of like, okay, so with hops, the longer they're in the beer, the more bitter it is because you're you're uh, isomerizing alpha acids. But mm-hmm. here in the particular case of the herbs, the boil length doesn't matter so much as in terms of increasing the bitterness as much as driving off other characters or just doing some extraction. Uh, some of both. So if you let chamomile tea steep for five minutes, you're going to get more of that sweetness, flowery thing that, you know, everybody's used to having when you were sick and handed a, a, a cup of tea. If you let it steep for longer, you're going to get more of the bitterness and more of the extraction of those other compounds. So, and boiling, as we know, will drive off some of those, you know, more volatile compounds that are more aromatic and such so yeah it's a matter of when you put things in and how you layer things in there what you're after and so by putting it at 10 minutes you get a little more of the the bitter edge yes uh, but then the yarrow uh, again since you got all that bitterness from the yarrow at the 60 minute mark the yarrow edition is is more for the aromatics at this point a little mm-hmm. less a little less bite yep and this was so i split my yarrow editions the first two I did were dried, and the last one was the fresh flowers I had. So um, the stuff I got from my friend, I got about a week before I brewed. So it had dried out, and what I had used for flame out, I had picked fresh in my yard that morning. Now, do you do anything special for doing your your drying, or is it just sitting over in the corner? Sitting over in the corner. <laughs> Easy peasy. Yep, wrap a string around it, hang it upside down. And then there's one last herb that uh, they've listed here i've known it i don't think i've ever tasted it 
So I couldn't put a uh, couldn't put a note on it, but bee bomb. Yeah. So that was actually a last minute addition to the recipe. Um, I was not planning on using bee balm. I was planning on putting in more sage at that point. Um, but the friend I got my chamomile from, her bee balm was just popping and beautiful in her yard. And she's like, do you want some? And I was like, yeah. I, need, I was going to make some oxymil out of it anyways. So they got here and they were beautiful and just smelled so, 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 so good that I, you know, p- plucked a petal, put it in my mouth, chewed it up for a little bit. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be, oh, this is going to be so good. <laughs> So um, it has some of that same spiciness that you're looking from sage, some of those thymol extracts and some of those things, but it also had a really nice uh, lemony character to it that was just delicious. And so I was chewing on that and I was like, all right, I just started my boil when she dropped those off and I was sitting there and I kind of thought about it for a minute. And so I was like, okay, so originally I was going to put in half the amount of sage that I put into Yarrow. So I popped that in my mouth, gave it a little chew, and I was like, no, it's not quite right. So I bumped it up to the same amount of bee balm to yarrow, put that in my mouth, gave it a chew, and I was like, yes, that's that's the flavor combo I'm looking for. Oh, so that's interesting. So that's that's part of how you're driving the your your flavor decisions then is I mean some of it's experience, but then it's also actually literally just chewing on the the herbs to see what you get in your mouth. Yeah. I mean, you know, botanicals are just like hops, they have a terroir. And so while Yes, I have the general flavor profile of yarrow. There's no like alpha acid testing. So it's not like, oh, you know, this yarrow is 3.4 and this is 5.8. You kind of have to, as you're brewing with herbs, gauge how strong they are, where they are in their shelf life and a lot of that. So yeah, it was kind of this like, mm, I'm going to taste this, get to this and I'm sticking my head over the brew kettle and smelling things and then smelling the basket I have. And that's kind of how that ended up in there. It wasn't planned. It was definitely not uh, where I started the day, but I'm super glad that it worked out well and i think it's interesting that you said it, it's got that little bit of lemony character since you know i usually think you know it's like with whip beer you know you're supposed to have like bitter orange peel in there so you uh, you obviously already had enough bitterness so like the idea of throwing something with a little bit of citrus character into it's probably i i can see why that would work so well yeah did you have other i mean you said that you you backed off on the sage and in, in favor of the bee bomb at that finishing mark and then you also referenced oh i got a basket you know i mean like, what other options did you have in front of you that you were that you could have considered? Um, that was really kind of my starting list based on knowing that we were in July, what was in season, what I was going to be able to get. Um, normally, when I approach a beer, I do much more painting on a much more broad canvas. But you know, the way this was formulated was supposed to be local ingredients, so I couldn't turn to my trusty stack of mountain rose herbs and be like, all right, I'm going to grab a dash of this and a pinch of that. And so, you know, I was trying to build, okay, I know that wit beers have a citrus character. I know they have a spicy character. I know they have these things and sort of pulling out of what was in season, what I knew a friend might have dried from her garden or what I knew I had dried from last season and sort of pulling together everything that, you know, had been foraged locally to kind of get that blend put together. That's interesting because I I like the bringing the seasonality back into it. I think one way that we've gotten kind of spoiled and out of rhythm is the fact that we don't have to pay attention to what is going right now. But that obviously seems to be something that you have in the forefront of your mind. Yeah. Yep. Wanted it to be fresh, delicious, and, you know, looking at what was available. So normally when I brew an herbal wit beer, I'm going to put in pink peppercorns or green peppercorns or, you know, something to get that, that pepper spice. And I was like, all right, those aren't local. <laughs> so 
how do we do this in a way that is, you know, it's a kind of, like I was talking about earlier, laying those flavors together to get to a point where you're at something similar and familiar to what people expect for a wet beer. Let's explore that season comment for a moment. So you said this was a summer beer. Yep. What would change if instead of this being a summer beer, it was a spring beer? Um, so we wouldn't have any of the fresh flowers. Mm -hmm. So no bee balm flowers, no yarrow flowers. Um, you'd be working with dried, which you would have from the previous year. But again, that like fresh hops, it's just a different, I don't want to say it's a different flavor because it is still the same herb and the same plant, but it's a different like special zing and magic that you don't get with using dried. So you can really kind of dial in what you're looking for. So spring around here, I would have had my sage would be in bloom or not bloom, but it'd have, you know, leaves on it, as would my rosemary and my lavender stems would still be there. Motherwort would probably be starting to leaf in early spring, so I'd probably pick some of that and might have some yarrow, but no blossoms on it. So you'd be, you'd still be looking at kind of the, the harder elements. Yeah. And at that point, I mean, depending on what point of spring we're talking about, I may have gone out for spruce tips or pine needles or some of those other things that are around that you could have layered in a different direction than this beer went. I'm trying to think how spruce tips would work. That would be interesting. Mm -hmm. If people haven't had fresh spruce tips before, they'll they'll have a tendency to think of spruce as that really aggressive uh, turpin pine character. Yeah. And what I would have done here is layer in that strawberry that most people may not have experienced, but I've used that instead of the, la or the lemon character. So still getting a fresh fruit flavor in there, but looking more for a strawberry than maybe a citrus. Now, the other thing that you'd, you'd made mention was you said and these were the sorts of herbs and spices that you would use for, for something like wit beer. But if you were doing your porter, what you said was your other favorite base. Mm -hmm. What changes there? Oh, so many changes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me pull that recipe up. All right. Porter recipe. Looking at that, kind of using your standard porter base of, you know, using some chocolate malt, some carafa, some special bee, some uh, other things along those ways, layering in. So again, because they're kind of your holy trinity and i say the holy trinity the other one that falls in like what is considered the classic gruet base is mirica gale sweet bog or myrtle bog I, I don't have access to that so i've never brewed with that um so i tend to turn to mugwort and yarrow as my initial bittering I, yeah i think i've only ever seen that dried yeah i've only seen it dried as well and i think it grows in different parts of the u.s but i not actually tried to forage it here wait and is that the what's the other one uh, marsh rosemary or is that or is that just another name i think it's the same plant under a different name so started off there with you know you start and i put a little bit of fuggle hops into this one just for that kind of additional because these are different herbs they're not as aromatic they're not as fragrant so kind of working in that so putting in um Fuggle is the only addition I put in for this one at 60 because I'm not looking to get a lot of bitterness from these herbs because you get some of that from the grain. You get some of it from the hops. So I kind of put everything in starting at 20 minutes looking to build those layers and those flavors. So basically looking to make a pretty aggressive tea uh, out of those. So I use um, an ounce of chaga, an ounce of herbal coffee, which is a blend from Mountain Rose Herbs that has dandelion burdock root. And I think one other thing that I'm forgetting, 
Um, so those are all pretty bitter traditional herbs uh, used in bitters, blends, and bases. You could also use something like chicory, couldn't you? Yeah, it has chicory in it. Thank you. That's the other one. So it's a blend of those. Um, and then mugwort. And so, so you get that very hearty, aggressive base. Yeah. And, and, and you feel like you can do that because it's, uh, because you've got the roast flavors that you're playing off of. Yeah, I do. But that one, I think from there, after the 20 minute addition, everything else goes in at flame out and it's just, it's basically the same addition. I did it 20 minutes with the addition of some yarrow to get some of those notes that we were talking about earlier. Some of those more aromatic herbally goodness notes so and again i mean so for this one we are talking about a a more aggressively herbally bitter uh, beer Mm -hmm. how does that play because like one of the problems i've uh, i've had a lot of times with american stouts and american porters you know like super traditional old school style that nobody makes anymore was that conflict between the roast and hop phenols and the hop bite do you find that that this bitterness that you're getting from the herbs plays better into the roast or? I think it does. And I think that's where um, using the chaga really kind of is the bridge builder between those. I want to say it's it's got that extra layer of some earthy notes, some kind of rooty and just really it's hard to explain what chaga tastes like if you haven't. I, I'm correct in chaga is a, is a fungus. It's, right? a, it's a mushroom. mushroom. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an infection on birch trees, um, mm, but it's infection. Yeah. <laughs> Parasite, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but it's, it's delicious. It has like an earthy chocolate sweet. Like I drink it as tea. So I'm a little weird, I guess, in that respect compared to your average brewer, but yeah, I, I've, I've had chaga tea before and, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that seems to be a taste that hasn't grown on me yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah, it's it's just a nice bridge, I think, between it adds some mouthfeel, it adds another layer in there of flavor in a way to bring together some of those qualities from the roast malt into your herbal. Um, and I think the herbal coffee, those roasted roots really help with that as well. You know, you're getting roasts from a different avenue that doesn't have necessarily some of that really harsh astringency that you can get when you layer in a bunch of roasted grain. So it's not nearly as acrid, but you're still getting that bitterness and that flavor. So the, the Mountain Rose Herbal Coffee also has carob in it. So it's dandelion, chicory, carob, and maca. That actually sounds really interesting. It's really tasty on its own. It's really great in a porter, too. And if you were just looking to dip your toes in, like mm-hmm. you could start there. You could just make a porter with some herbal coffee in it, and it would be delightful. First beer that we talked about, the one that you won, won Mechagrave for, I mean, that was all stuff that you had harvested locally, either from your yard or from friends. The second one here, I mean, it sounds like we're talking much more dried herbs or th- things from uh, from other providers, right? So if if I am if I am somebody who has never played around with any of these herbs, how would you recommend that people get started? Um, I think if you're really looking to get started and you have absolutely no idea where to get started is to start with a recipe from a trusted source or kind of look at what you're looking at. So the three kind of books that I use as pretty good reference guides for this is the Homebrewers Almanac from Scratch Brewing. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got a lot of great recipes and a lot of really nice descriptions of the herbs, which 
is kind of hard to come by in a lot of these books. I think a lot of people who write these books have the level of experience where they're just talking about, you know, all of the things and they give you the recipe, but they don't explain how the base components come together. So I think that's a nice part of the scratch book. And also in Butch's book, Against All Hops, that's another one that does a really good introduction of what these herbs are and why you would want to use them in the recipes that they're kind of giving out. What's the, the was it Stephen Bruner's uh, sacred and her- herbal healing beers? It's on my list of, I would say, more advanced places to start because they're all historical recipes. So the beers themselves, I have brewed two or three recipes out of that book exactly as written and drain poured all of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think it's a good way to learn the herbs, but I would not brew the recipes that are in there. I think it's got some good descriptions, I think, um, kind of along that same line of maybe not a great place to start for somebody is the Wild Crafting Brewer by Pascal Badar. I think it's got some good recipes in there and some good things, but it doesn't really do much to teach you about what herbs you're using and how they taste. So it kind of goes into a lot of that. Um, another really good book for beginners is Brewing Local by Stan Hieronymus. It's got a good chunk in the middle of like, just these are the herbs and this is what you can expect from them. Um, So I like that a lot too, as you're kind of getting started. I'll send you my giant list of books. Um, (laughs) So there's, yeah, I've got a bunch of other um, herbal kind of cocktail and and drink books, as well as um, bitters books are a really good source of of information and references. So, you know, when you're looking to do that, obviously these are herbs that are meant to make things bitter. So looking at bitters blends and how those come together is also really helpful for building beer, beer bases. And I do think it's important because I, again, we, we joked a little bit about the sort of oppressive domination of hops, but I mean, until like the 1500s, I mean, all the way back through the course of human history, this is what people did. Yeah. And, you know, if people really want to dig into that side of things, Patrick McGovern's books are great for that. Um, it's, you know, a lot of the like real nerdy scientific analysis of what people did before the rise of hops. Um, and it's, it's, they're really interesting, you know, on, on Corking the Past, there's some blends where it's just like a little bit of everything went into this. So it's got some really crazy herbs and honey and rice. And it was just like everything that we can throw into this pot, we're going to do it. Well, I think that was actually my biggest takeaway from that book was like, looking at, and I've said this multiple times now since having read it, is that our modern insistence on tightly defining and separating the worlds of rice wine and wine and mead and beer, our ancestors would have looked at us like we were nuts. Because I think particularly like uh, it was the the whole China section, I think, in uh, Uncorking the Past, where, yeah, to your point, it was like, there's hawthorn in here, there's rice in here, there's barley in here, there's millet and honey, and it's like, okay. Yeah. And honestly, that sounds delightful to me. Like, I love hawthorn berries. They're great. Uh, Yeah, and I can see how they'd play with all of those things very well. So, yeah. I think it it is, it's something that, you know, a good friend of mine reminded me of after a competition where I put in a gruit that I was particularly proud of and thought was delightful and it got trounced by a group of judges that had no idea what a grew it was and what these herbs tasted like and so they're like this is garbage it tastes like this this and this i'm like that's exactly what it's supposed to taste like like that's exactly what i wanted i think that's the lament of uh, every brewer who is out there doing different things yeah um because you'll see the uh, I, I know that right now the milk the funk folks are working on 
are working with the BJCP to sort of change up how all the the wild and funky beers are are classified and judged just for that reason of uh, this stuff no longer works and and yeah people are getting banged on by judges yeah but yeah <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be nice instead of having to put it in the 30a and trying to explain it to the judges and hoping that it makes it to the table um but that's why I was so excited about Seth's competition, because I know Seth is much like me, a brewer who loves yarrow, and he brews with carrot flowers, and I'm just so interested. I'm, I might grow carrots next year just so I can have those, because he raves about them. Yeah, he, he has been going sort of nutty over carrot flowers in, in the past year on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, and so I was like, I just I need to get my hands on some of those, <laughs> so I may as well just grow some carrots next year. Well, it sounds like you could, it sounds like you could affect a trade. I probably could. <laughs> I make it over to Central Oregon. But, you know, I think that is changing. And, you know, I was delighted to win a competition with the Gruit because that just doesn't happen. Yeah, it is. It is very hard. Uh, I think yeah. for a regular style competition, I think you have to have not only the benefit of having made a really good beer, but also having the luck of having a set of judges who can understand what it is that you just made. And can appreciate it for what it is as opposed to what they think it should be. Yeah. And I think that's where Seth's competition, I was like, I I feel safe about this. (laughs) Like, I feel like this is going to work out. And it's kind of funny because, like, I had joked with my husband ahead of the competition that was like, oh, you know, Seth's pretty good friends with the guys at Alipothecary. Maybe, you know, maybe Paul Arney will drink my beer. And he did. He was one of the judges that judged my beer. And I was just like, oh, my God, Paul Arney is saying nice things about my beer. Like, this is the best. Well, and I was looking, I mean, just looking at the results, I mean, it, it sounded like they had a pretty well-rounded crowd of beers because you won for the Gruet. Runner-up was a spontaneously fermented frambois. Yep. And then the third place was a best bitter. Yep. That was actually really kind of cool to see for just keeping things very well-rounded. And, and I think the other reason people should pay attention to this competition is what you guys are getting uh, like 50 pounds of uh, malt plus other stuff. Yeah, I'm super stoked about the prize. Um, I always need more Mecca grade in my grain bins. Uh, but also, I'm getting Pendleton Blanket, which is something I've wanted for years and years and years and never splurged on myself for. So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> there we go. See, brewing, brewing can have its uh, rewards just beyond yeah. the beer. Before we let you go, um, back uh, back onto your weekend. What else should people know and think about when they're trying to either get started with this or they're trying to construct a, a Gruet beer? You know, I think it goes back to what I was talking about when I was popping things in my mouth and giving them a chew. So, like, if you don't know where to start, start with things you know. So, you know, is there a favorite tea that you have that's an herbal blend? And if you don't have one, then go buy some at the store and steep them and see how they come out and kind of start to get a feel for the flavors of these botanicals. If you're not, you know, if you're somebody who grew up just drinking coffee and that was your life, you know, expand your horizons a little bit, try some things or buy some tinctures and kind of dabble in what does that taste like when you put it on your tongue and drop the dropper that through. Um, I think that's, you know, a pretty good way to, to get started is starting from known established things. So either starting with a recipe from a book like scratch or starting with a tea blend that, you know, you like the orange spice from, you know, whoever, then explore that and put some in some beer and, and see what happens. And 
I think, you know, I've learned a lot from bench trials that way of just starting with like a golden ale and making some tea and pouring some in and being like, all right, it's not, it's not, it's not as unappetizing as it sounds <laughs> knowing that you're watering down both to begin with, but it gives you an idea of like, do if you're brewing with actual tea, do the tannins in this work with the base grain build? Nope. Okay, great. We'll move on to something else. Or do I like the way that this spice note might work with the base qualities of the yeast I've chosen to use? Yep. Nope. Okay. Moving on. So it's a lot of, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's trial and error and kind of feeling your way through it. So knowing that, you know, this is what this base tastes like. And when I put it with this other base that I know what it tastes like, this is what I expect. Does it happen? Cool. Well, I think one of the things I remember from that uh, Sacred and Herbal Healing books or Sacred and Herbal Healing Beers book Beers. Hey, uh, <laughs> was a, st- a statement that he made in the in the appendix about that this was not intended to be uh, Teutonic styles of brewing, right? You know, like the Teutonic uh, 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 insistence on calculation and efficiency. It is a little bit more of an art. It's a fun thing to play with. And again, to be a Groot doesn't mean that you can't have any hops in it. It just generally means you're playing with a lot of different flavors. And why wouldn't you want to play with other flavors? Yeah, there's so many delicious ones out there. So I think everybody should check the show notes. We'll make sure that we have uh, recipes, but we'll also have a list of books and uh, places that you can go find out about various herbs, including being able to get your hands on some of these. Uh, I would generally recommend, I know sometimes like, uh, you'll, your homebrew shops will have spices and herbs in them. I generally recommend people don't use those because you have no clue about their quality or their age. Go get yourself good stuff. Yeah. Know your sourcing. All right. All right. Well, Kylie, thank you so much, ma'am. Well, thank you, Drew. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And congratulations again on the win. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of un or almost unhopped beers make sure to check the show notes for references that can help you discover the best and safest spices and herbs to use in your beers and just what are you going to grow it remember if you have show ideas styles brewers techniques ingredients etc you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com you can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com you can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget to support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is, well, you'll have to listen to the next main show and we'll tell you exactly what it's going to be because we haven't made a decision. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. 
Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. 